say it a lot, but I sure am thankful for those kids. Amen. James chapter 5. And I had it figured out this morning. Uh, I, last night, um, Shasta scooted off to Walmart for a minute and I steeled away and was working on my message and, and I thought, uh, thank you, brother. And I thought, I got about two pages of notes wrote out and I thought, man, I, I'm, I'm on it. I'm going to, I got figured out what we need to preach tomorrow and everything else and then I got up this morning and didn't use any of it. Uh, and and so uh, the, the desire for me was to finish. I wanted to go back and keep talking about the gospel, and I believe God is going to allow me to do that at some point. Um, maybe even starting next Sunday, but uh, uh, not not this Sunday. Um, God uh, stirred my heart, and, and I began to look in James chapter five. That's the scripture that I was drawn to, and I'll, I'll try to be uh, quick today with you so that I don't. Uh, Kind of worry your patience, but at the same time, I want you to see uh, what what I felt like the Lord showed to me in James chapter five. So let me give you some background before we read. Okay, so you you can be taking your time and turning and, and doing all those things, but James is a really practical book. Right, it's very practical. It's full of great wisdom. It's full of great advice for Christians. I always tell Christians. I, I, a lot of times, people will ask, "Okay, I'm saved. What should I read?" Um, and I'll usually tell them to start, you know, in, in, in John, 1 John, the Gospel of John, and then somewhere in that mix there, I always add James in because I think James is just such a good, practical book. Um, so it starts out in chapter 1 of James, and like I said, I'm just going to run through it quick for you, talking about trials, right? And if you remember James chapter 1, I believe he says, My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, right? Um, and and uh, that's difficult to do. But that's where he begins, right? He says, um, we are to rejoice and be patient during trials. How many, of you, how many of you as Christians in here today know that even once you accept the Lord, your life as a Christian is full of trials? I mean, full of them. Right? I mean, over and over and over... Um, Sometimes it seems like I have more trials now than what I ever had when I was lost. There's a reason for them. James says to rejoice and to be patient during trials. And then he also says this, that no matter what happens, no matter what trials we face, and you can read about it in James chapter 1, that we need to keep our love for God during trials. Stay on fire. Keep your love for God. He encourages us and commands us not to get angry during trials. Amen. Hard to do. He said, it goes on towards the end of James chapter 1, and he said, even in trials, continue being a doer of the Word of God and not a hearer only. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Sometimes when we're in a trial, we, we, we will still manage to pull ourselves into church and we sit and we hear the Word of God. But what God expects is that even in those difficult times, even in trials, that we maintain not only our hearing, but our doing of the Word of God. Obedience. And then he kind of ends chapter 1 and he says, during trials, by the way, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. And then he goes on into chapter 2. And he launches into chapter 2 with a... And, I, and I, this is all going to lead you into chapter 5. So I'm not intentionally reading to you the whole book of James, okay? But chapter 2, he starts with this warning about favoritism. Right? About respect of person. He tells us that we should not honor the rich 
above the poor. Right. Amen. Amen? Yes. That we shouldn't put priority on certain people and not on others. That we should, basically what he's teaching is that we should love all of our neighbors yeah. as ourselves. Regardless of their condition, sick, healthy, rich, poor, doesn't make a difference. Love them all. Not just the ones we like. Amen? Amen. Amen. Not just the ones that like us. Amen. But all of our neighbors were to love. Yes. And then he goes on in chapter 2 after he warns us about that. And he says, it's one, it's one of those great powerful verses of Scripture uh, that, that, that most everybody that's a Christian or has been a Christian for a while knows. He goes on to tell us that faith without works is dead. dead. Being alone. He goes on to tell us that our profession of faith, we can say all day long that we have faith, that we are Christians, that we have this and have that. But if we have no fruit, no works, then our faith is a dead faith. Amen? He teaches us that there. He even asks the question, he says, what does it profit if a man says he has faith if he doesn't have works? What good does that do? Right? What good does it do if a man says, oh, I've got all kinds of faith? Well, great. But if you don't have any works, what good does that do? Right? Well, what's the point of that? He uses this powerful example when he talks about it, it being... Because what he's basically saying is faith without works is profitless. And he uses this powerful example and he says, let's say that someone needs food. Right? Someone needs food. And you've got food enough for you and food enough to spare. And when, and when you see that person that needs food, you go up to him and say, I'm going to pray that you find something to eat. Well, what good did that do? Right? Or he uses another example. He says, let's say that they need a coat or that they're naked. Right? Let's say they need a coat and you've got an extra coat to spare. And you go up to him and you say, let me pray that you get warm and don't give them your coat. Guess what? Your prayer don't make them warm. And your prayer don't fill their belly. Amen? So he uses that as an example to you, right? He's not necessarily just focusing on those particular works, but he's saying, just like you going up to somebody and saying, oh, I pray that you get something to eat, well, that's profitless. That doesn't mean anything. But you going up and giving them food, that's works. And your love is demonstrated to that person. Amen? So that's he's using those examples. It's the same when it comes to faith, right? Without works, faith is profitless. It's pointless. It's dead. It's empty words. In chapter 3, he moves on. And he talks about the tongue. And it's poison. How many of you know that the, the tongue is set on fire of hell, the Bible says? It's full of deadly poison. He says, with that same tongue, with that same mouth, one minute we're blessing God, one minute we're saying all these great things about God, and the next minute we're cursing men. Yeah. And he says, it ought not to be so. Amen. He says, sweet water and bitter water can't come from the same fountain. Right? You can't draw a different water from that fountain. It's only got one thing. And what does the Bible teach us? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's teaching us about that tongue, right? And, and, and he says that that same tongue 
He said, it's a little tiny member, just like the rudder on a ship. He said, it's not very big, but when it moves, it moves the whole ship. And he said, your tongue is just like that. He said, it can defile the whole body. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen? Hey, our words are powerful things. Yeah. Right? What we do with this mouth and tongue is a very powerful thing. So he's warning us to be careful what we say, how we say what we say. And then listen, this is an important point. We don't hardly ever talk about it very much. Uh, uh, but he wants to make sure that when we speak, it's with a heavenly wisdom and not a demonic wisdom. Amen. Now he used, I don't, I'm not saying that word for dramatic effect. In the scriptures it says the demonic. Right? Let's look at it together so you understand where I'm at. James 3, 14 through 18. We're working our way to James 5. James 3, 14 through 18. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, now you, you see that as clear as I can, right? Do not boast and lie against that truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion and every evil thing are there. Amen? Do you see it? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen? You see then what he's saying is, is that our speech should be seasoned with grace. In other words, when we say things out of anger, bitterness, pridefulness, we're not speaking with a heavenly wisdom. As a matter of fact, instead we're being controlled by the demonic forces. Nobody likes the thought of that. Where envy and self-seeking exist, so does confusion and all sorts of evil spirit and all sorts of evil things. Envy and self-seeking. Remember those two things. Instead, what he says is our tongue should always be striving to bring peace. Amen? We should use them for good. Bring peace. Our words should be gentle. We should be willing to yield. You know what that means? That means when we're starting to face a contention with somebody and there's hard feelings are starting to boil up and anger is starting to boil up, somebody's got to be the one that's strong enough to yield. Somebody's got to be the one that's strong enough to say, it's not worth this. Let me step back away from this for a minute. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he's teaching us that, that you've got to try to... Now listen, he said it's an unruly member and no man can really tame it all the time. But you've got to try to tame that tongue so that you would be the one who says, you know what, I, I may not be wrong, but I'm going to shut up. It's time to yield. Because that's the grace of God. Amen? Now we like to fight, don't we? We like to make our point. We like to be right. We want to show everybody how smart we are. Sometimes the godly thing to do, the spiritual thing to do, is to yield. And the demonic thing to do is to continue to go on and argue. There's a time to stop. And he says our tongue should be full of mercy. 
and good fruits. Not showing partiality. Not building somebody else up and not building everybody up. Amen? Amen. It should be without partiality. It should be loving all people, treating all people the same, and without hypocrisy. In other words, not judging or complaining about someone else when you do the same thing or worse. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. 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 So that's how he winds up chapter 3. Chapter 4, he shows us two things, right? Two things in life that cause us some major issues as believers. They bring about, as a matter of fact, what he calls war in our lives, right? He brings about this war. You know what they are? Pride and worldliness. Amen? But he tells us the solution. He says, if you will submit to God and draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Amen? So he says that's the solution to that problem. He tells us in chapter 4 not to judge our brothers and sisters and not to boast in tomorrow. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know that you'll have a tomorrow. He reminds us that life is short. It's like a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away in chapter 4. Amen? Amen. Now in chapter 5, he starts out with this warning to the rich. Woe unto you rich. Right? Until, by the way, we're rich. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have everything that we want. You say, no, I've, I've been wanting, a, I've been wanting a, a, a better this or bigger that. You have got everything you need. Amen. Everything you need. Trust me. Amen. I've seen hard times and you've seen some hard times. I've seen people who don't have. We have. Yeah. Amen? Amen. But he gives this warning to the rich, especially to those who acquired their riches ungodly. Right? He says this. He says you can't boast in your possessions. Amen. You can't trust in gold or silver. Amen? Amen. And he said that many that do, that are rich, have acquired those riches and God sees it and knows it through lying and cheating and stealing and crooked ways. Amen? And He knows those things. Now, we pick up James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. Let's read those together. James 5, 7 through 20. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But of all my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. But let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. Lest you fall into judgment. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. 
Let them pray over Him, anointing Him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Amen. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen? Notice the first word in that scripture in chapter 7. Therefore. Anytime you see that, you have to look to see what it's there for, right? And you've got to know that whatever was before it, is what's it was something that he was saying because of all those things. That's why we recap the book of James because what we just read, he wants you to keep all those things in mind. In other words, when he says therefore, he's saying in spite of trials, in spite of hardships, in spite of the fact that you're learning how to love all people, rich, poor, sick, healthy, in spite of the fact that you're working to learn to demonstrate your faith by works, while you're trying to tame your tongue, while you're resisting being proud and worldly, while you're learning not to trust in wealth and possessions, while you're doing all those things, while all this is happening, while you're learning to live out the Christian life, be patient until the Lord comes. Amen? Amen? Amen. Can I tell you something this morning? It's hard to be patient and wait upon the Lord. Amen? Amen? It's hard. The world is full of troubles and not only troubles and trials and all those things, but it's full of temptations and snares. It sounded like Brother Mike covered some of that in Sunday school this morning. Being a Christian in this world is hard. It's hard. It is a narrow way that you have to walk and everybody else is walking abroad. It's a separation. It's a difficulty. It's not easy. And while we have the Spirit of the living God and we couldn't do one step of that pathway without the Spirit of God. While we have the Spirit of God, while we can pray or we can do all those things, that doesn't make it easy all the time. Amen? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one feeling that this morning. It's okay. James understood how hard it was and he encourages us. He says, be patient. The Lord is coming. Be patient. The Lord's coming. Do you live with that thought in your mind every day? I mean, listen, does that come across your mind most days? There are days when I literally can be outside and I can stop and I can look up or look out or whatever it is. And as I do that, I think to myself, it could be right now. It could be right now. Right? Like, like I, there's, there's a part of me that longs for that. I can understand why in Revelations uh, at the end, the, the, the authors there, at the end they said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. Come. We're ready. We're ready. We want, the, we want His appearing to come. Listen, I, in spite of sin, and I think about this a lot, a lot we, we, uh, creation is marred with sin. This world, the Bible says, it is, it is 
passing away just like we are because of sinfulness. And in spite of its sin, it's still beautiful. Right? Like, I, I mean, when you see a picture of a baby, when you look around and hear these kids laughing, when you go outside and you see a beautiful sunset, or you get up in the morning and sit on the porch and watch the sunrise up, or you, you go out on these overlooks and look out over the mountains and all the you can look up at the stars at night. It's beautiful. And that that is amazing because that's beautiful, even though it's corrupted by sin. How much more beautiful? of a place that God has prepared where there is no sin. I mean, if it's that nice here, what would it be like? I mean, my mind can't wrap around it. Here's the fact. The Lord is coming back. He's coming back for His church. We do not know when. Nobody knows when. But I do know that we're closer today than what we were yesterday. We were closer today. James said his return is imminent, right? It's right. It, he, he said it's at the door. And if he was at the door, how much more at the door are we? Amen. We've been living in the last days ever since the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. We've been living in the last days. And eventually, and probably, and very likely could be in our lifetime that we would see the return of the Lord. Amen. 2 Peter 3, 8-10 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. God is not bound by time. He's not stuck in time. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slack. Amen? But is long-suffering towards us. Why hasn't He come back already, preacher? What is it? Why, why is He waiting? Doesn't He know we want Him to come? Oh yes, He knows we want Him to come. But, He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Amen. But that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, now listen to what He says, but the day of the Lord, what? Will come. As a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This thing's going away. And James is so strategic in how he approaches this because what he's saying is, is be patient until the Lord returns. But look at the analogy that he uses. What does he say when you go back and look? He said, you see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, right? Some of you guys have probably done some gardening, raised a garden, done a little farming in your life, done those things. When you plant a seed in the ground, do you just walk away and a few months come back and it's a beautiful plant with fruit all over it? No, you work it. Right? You've got to water that seed. You've got to go out and make sure it's taken care of. You've got to pull the weeds up around it or it'll choke it out. You've got to work and, and, and work that seed and work it over. Why do you think He chose that? Listen, I, I, I just want you to see it, right? It's the same with, with what we're doing today. While we wait upon the Lord, there's work for us to do. Amen? We're patiently waiting. We're growing in faith. We're growing in grace. We're growing in knowledge. We're patiently waiting upon the Lord. But while we wait, He says, wait like the farmer waits. In other words, the farmer don't just sit on the porch and watch the seed. He goes out and works it. We're to do the same thing. Amen. 
We're to be about the Father's business. We're to be about serving the Lord and loving others and spreading the Gospel. I mean, think about that. In your life, who have you spread the Gospel to? Who have you shared the Gospel with? We just read last week, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. And to all those who would believe. Who have you shared the Gospel with? Who have you led to Christ? Who have you came and worked in and invested in their soul to get them into Christ? We're to be about that work. We're to study so that we can answer their questions. We're to pray so that we can grow closer to God. We're to, we're to do all of these things. Right? We're to come to church and worship God to renew our strength. We're to grow in faith. And hopefully the goal is, is that through our labors and through our love that God will work and the kingdom of God will expand and more people will be brought into the kingdom of God. It's like the two men in the Old Testament. Remember, they said, why sit here until we die? The Lord doesn't want us to get saved and then just sit down and relax and say, now somebody just feed me the Word of God. Right? Somebody just keep shoving the Word of God into me and, and, and I'll just soak it up and I'll just enjoy the good blessings of being a Christian. And Man, I'm just so happy that God saved me and I hope He saves everybody, but right now I'm comfortable. God wants you to get saved and then get on the move. Right? Get saved and get to work. Get to growing, get to striving, get to seeking, get to searching, get to going out. And, 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 and There's work to do. There's children to teach. Amen? There's lost people that need to be reached. There's hurting people that need help. There's hungry people that need food. There's orphans that need to be raised. There's prisoners that need to be visited. There's widows that need to be cared for. There's all the rather there's 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 pastors. There's churches that need pastors and preachers. There's all these things, right? There's people that need love that don't have it. There's all kinds of work for you to do. And if you wait on somebody to assign it to you, you're going to be waiting a long time. What you have to do is lay your hand to the plow and start working. Amen? You've got to get after it. You've got to get after it. You say, well, I don't know. I just, you know, I just want to do, I just want to do what's right. Yeah, we all do. It's never wrong to labor for souls. It's not wrong. The field is, God, Christ said the field is ripe for harvest. It's ready to be picked. He said, it's not the harvest that's the problem, it's the laborers. There's so few. I can say that in the kingdom of God today, there's very few people that want to labor with the Lord. There's lots of people that want to be fed by the Lord. There's lots of people that want to dine at the Lord's table. There ain't many people that want to serve the food. Yeah, right. Amen? Amen. Amen. Got to think about that. And listen, what we got to know is that while we do all those things, while we're going to prisons and visiting, while we're going to give out water and hand out tracts, while we're knocking on doors, while we're witnessing, while we're you know trying to share our testimony and trying to encourage others, and maybe it's just a private individual working with an individual person on, on an issue they're facing, whatever it may be, while we're doing that labor for God, what you've got to know is that in due time, Christ will return. Amen. And when He does, you'll enjoy the fruit of the life you live. Because He's going to reward every man according to His works. Amen? Amen. Amen? Listen, you're going to get to enjoy eternal pleasures in the presence of God. Amen. I cannot <coughs> preach that to you in a way that that's, I don't know how to get that to sink in your heart. But if you could see it and understand it, 
There is nothing in this world that compares to the riches of glory. In Romans, what he said is he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for you the revealing of the sons of God. Later on in Romans, just that same chapter, he says in Romans 8.24, did you see it? For we were saved in this hope, but hope that's seen, that's not hope. For why would one need to hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience, with perseverance. I've not seen heaven. I've not seen the new heaven and the new earth that God's prepared. Glimpses of it in Scripture. I've never seen it with my eyes, but I eagerly wait for it. Amen. Eagerly. Amen. So be patient. Don't stop striving forward in faith. Don't stop trusting in the blood of Jesus. Don't stop working for the kingdom of God. And if you're looking for somebody to, to try to you know, keep you on fire, listen, you've got to stoke up your own fire. We'll come behind you and do the best we can. You get a spark, we'll blow on it. Yeah. But the reality is, is you, you're in control. Amen. Listen to me. You're in control of what you do for the Lord. Yes. God has given you everything you need to do whatever work He wants you to do. Amen. God has given you the Spirit that will strengthen you to do it. But nobody in this church can make you do it. Amen. Nobody in any church can make you do it. You have to want to. He that, I think about it when he calls the bishop, he said, He that desires the work. You've got to have a desire. You've got to have a desire. I can't preach a desire into you. I can only preach the Word of God. We're not that far away from it. We're not that far away from being in the presence of God. A moment. A twinkling of an eye. A, a vapor. <laughs> Right, I put, go home and put something on the stove. Put a pot of water on the stove and watch the steam come up. And I want you to take that. I want you. Well, don't really do this, but take your hand and, and grab a hold of that steam and see how long you can hold it. You won't get it. One time when I was younger, Mom was cooking, and I don't know what possessed me to do this, but she had a she had a crock pot. She's shaking her head at me right now. I don't know if it's because I'm telling the story or because of what I did. But she had this crock pot and it was full of, of the food. And I lifted the lid up and before I mean as the lid came off, I stuck my whole face over it and I went and all that steam went into my nose that I've never been the same since. It, it burnt everything inside my face. Uh, now I, I don't smell as good. My nose, every time I eat my nose runs. She almost killed me. <laughs> almost. By the grace of God, I made it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't really stick your hand over the steam, but think about it. Right? You can't hold it. Guys, that's the way life is. You, you, you can't hold it. If you could right now, you put the brakes on. You, you try to pull back. You slow it down. Right? You'd say, I want to live a little longer. I want to enjoy this a little longer. I want to have this a little longer. But it's, it, it's, your life is set on a course. It's set on a course. And whether you want to or not, you're going to reach the destination, which is the grave. You're going to reach it. 
You're going to get to it whether you want to get to it or not. It's irrelevant. Right? The only way that's going to be avoided is if the Lord comes back between now and that day. Amen? Amen. I pray He does. But I also know that I don't want God to come back for me when He could have saved a whole bunch more. Amen. Right? Yeah. I want everybody that God wants to be saved to be saved. Amen. I want that with all my heart. Now what He says is, is He says, He reminds us of some things, and I'll be quick about this, right? It shouldn't take us long. But He gives us five things to do while we wait. Five things. These are James's thoughts, right? This is James's heart. And he was inspired to write these words by the Holy Spirit because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Right? So this is not only what James wants you to know, this is what God wants you to know. Right? And so in, in the book of James, now let's look at 5.9 again, right? Uh, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is at the door. While you wait, God says, don't grumble against each other. Amen. Don't complain about each other. <laughs> Amen. It does not matter. I searched around this morning. It doesn't matter how hard you might try to escape this text. What James says is so clear, you can't even twist it. Yeah. <laughs> right? You cannot twist this. It's a clear command. Since James was so clear here, we've got to be equally clear this morning. It may be hard, and you may be guilty of it this morning. And if you are, the best thing you can do, rather than get mad, rather than to say, oh well, you know, we're all... The best thing you can do is if you're guilty of what this Word of God says, is get your way to the altar and repent of your sin and ask Christ to forgive you and strengthen you. Amen? Now you better rest assured I've had to do the same thing. Because what James says in no uncertain terms, if you're a Christian, it is a sin when you grumble and complain about another believer. There's no way to avoid that. When you grumble and complain about a brother or sister in Christ, you've sinned. Now listen, we've got to be willing to repent of that. Amen? Amen. We've got to be willing to say, God, help me to stop. If I'm talking with you one day and you hear me start grumbling and complaining about another person, you remind me. Hey, Bill, didn't you preach out of James chapter 5 that we should not grumble and complain against one another? That mean your wife, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Even your wife. Or you have. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Thomas, it's not on there, but I made note of it uh, when I was thinking about it. So let me just take, let me just read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, very quickly, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it here. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 12. Listen to what he says. Now these things became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things like they lust. Talk about those folks in the Old Testament. He said, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Don't let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted Him. Right? So, idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Christ, 
He said, they were destroyed by serpents. Now listen, nor complain as some of them did. Man. So, complaining is as equally as, as putrid to God as idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Christ, and then complaining. That's hard. Amen? Somebody get this altar polished up. It's getting ready to come, right? We're going to hit it today, right? It's a fact. When we complain, let me tell you what it does, okay? And, I'm, and then I'm going to give you some clarifying, okay? When we complain, it shows that our focus is on the wrong thing. Amen? What it, what it shows is, right, instead of focusing on loving God and loving the church and loving our neighbors and spreading the gospel, what it shows is instead we're focused on everybody else and not on God. Our eyes are on the wrong thing. Amen? Now he specifically mentions here when we complain about our brothers and sisters. Our grumbling about that, right? And I want you to remember this, right? An eternal focus is crucial while we wait for the return of the Lord. And our complaining, when you start hearing yourself complain, what it should do is wake you up to remember and to see you're not focused on the right thing. You're right now, you're focused on the right now. What you should be focused on is eternity with Christ. Right? You've got to change your focus. You've got to switch those two things out. Now let me quickly tell you what grumbling and complaining is not before you panic. Right? Respectfully disagreeing with somebody is not grumbling and complaining. I can disagree with you and not be a grumble or a complainer. As long as I treat you with love and meekness, we can disagree with one another. That's okay. So, to Brother Connie's point, if you're at home with your wife or your husband and you're having a respectful disagreement, <laughs> right? Does that happen? That does happen. You're having a respectful disagreement that's not grumbling and complaining. Amen? I can give you, you, you can have constructive criticism for someone and it not be grumbling and complaining. You could come beside of me and I could be doing something wrong or poorly or incorrectly uh, uh, spiritually or whatever and you could come along beside of me and say, Brother, I, I believe you're doing that wrong. I believe you've got this wrong. Let's, let me look at this with you. And that's not grumbling and complaining. That's you trying to help. Amen? Amen. You with me? Yeah. This one will help you a little bit. <coughs> Go Appealing to someone in confidence, talking to somebody in confidence for help and advice is not grumbling and complaining. Right? Talking to a, a, a going to God in prayer, talking to your pastor, talking to your spouse, talking to your spiritual mentor, your, your you know a good friend in Christ to get advice is not grumbling. Right? So you you mean let's say me and Joel were having problems with one another and I was really struggling and, and, and I thought, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to get Joel to hear what I want to say. I'm, I'm really struggling. I can go to Brother Jay in confidence and I can say, Brother Jay, how would you handle this? I've got this issue. Right? I've got this problem. I can go to I can go to Jay and Jay could give me wisdom and guidance. And that's not me grumbling complaining about Joel. That's me seeking some wisdom yeah. from a brother. Amen? I can do that. 
But there is a fine line. Right? Where all of a sudden, it, and listen, and you know when you cross it, right? Because all of a sudden, you're not seeking help, you're seeking sympathy. You want somebody to come along beside of you and say, yeah, Brother Joe's a jerk. I agree with you, Bill. He's just a jerk, right? You know, that's not what we want. We don't need somebody to, we don't need to find somebody to agree with us. We need to find a spiritual person that's going to help us to figure out how we can get up through this. Amen? Amen. And now, Brother Joe, he can go out and find somebody else and, they say, and he can talk to them and they say, yeah, Bill's a jerk. Right? So that don't do us any good, right? We want to be careful. That we're really seeking help and not sympathy. And that we're really seeking advice and not somebody to gossip with. Amen? We don't want to be gossips. God frowns heavily on gossip. So that's the first thing. That was the longest one. So just relax now. Second thing he says to do while we wait is to look back at the prophets that came before us. Amen? While you wait, take time to, to remember that you're not the only Christian that struggled. You're not the only person that's suffered. You're not the only one that's faced trials. All those prophets of old did the same thing, but God was their strength. Amen. Amen. God was their refuge. God was their present help in a time of trouble. God was all those things. Now James used a specific example. He said, you remember Job? He said, look back at Job. You saw that the Lord had a purpose and He had an intended end for Job that was full of compassion and mercy. We can always go back and look at those people that came before us, those uh, champions, heroes of faith that you read about in Hebrews 11. We can go back and look at those people. And we can see the goodness of God and how He's there. Amen. I always like to think about Moses. So I go back to Moses a lot. And I want you to think about this. Moses had a hard life. Yes, amen. Yes. amen? Moses was a prince of the world. He was in Egypt and had everything the world could offer. All the pleasures was his. All of them. He was loved by Pharaoh, by Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything he could want. And he went from being a prince in the world to a shepherd in the desert. No more pleasures. No more Egypt. None of those things. And then, when he got comfortable in the desert as a shepherd, God took him out of his comfort zone and said, you know what? Go back to Egypt and bring everybody else out. Now, I'll just put this in your mind for just a minute. You think on it later. God took Moses out of the world, changed his heart, changed his life, sent him back into the world to help bring other people out of the world. Amen. Now who does that sound like? Every Christian has that calling. God brings you out, cleans you up, puts you back so that you can bring other people out. Amen? So you can see that in that. Brought him out. Listen, brought him out. Put him in the desert, tending sheep. He made himself a little life. Had a little family. Had everything going good. God said, "Nope, get back. Go back and get him out." So he goes and does that reluctantly. He goes and does that, and then he gets to wander in the desert for forty years with the awfulest bunch of whining and complaining people. 
that you've ever read about. They whine and complain about everything. We'd have been better off to die in Egypt. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we'd have, we, uh, this food's not good. This bread's not good. We're thirsty. We're tired. We need, to, we need a God to worship. We need this. And they went on and on and on. And, 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 and he, they never stopped. Only to do that for 40 years. <laughs> and then get to the promised land. And God takes him on a mountain and says, Look at it. And then he dies. And if that was the end of Moses, that is the most uninspiring, depressing story that you can ever hear. Amen? But that's not the end of Moses. We get to see Moses again in the Scriptures. Now let me show you. In Matthew chapter 17, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Amen. So you think Moses had a miserable life? No. You, you say, well, I, you know, wait. let me put it this way. Moses didn't have an end. He didn't have one. He took him up on that mountain and you say, oh, Moses died. And the Bible says that the Lord buried him. And you say, oh, how sad. No. Moses went on with the Lord. Amen. Moses went on with the Lord. He was there. And when Christ was here and, and, and He went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and He went up to be strengthened in the Lord and, and, and Peter and James were, were blessed enough to even get to view it with their eyes. They looked upon the glorified Christ and they saw Him. And Moses and Elijah there talking with Him. I need to tell you what, guys. You ought to be, you ought to be in awe. You've got to remember, right? With God, we've got an eternal future. Amen. Look back at the prophets before you. Where is Elijah? He's with God. Where's Moses? He's with God. Where's Job? He's with God. Where will you be when you're long gone? If you live the Christian life, put your faith in Jesus Christ, trusted in Him and Him alone, you'll be with God. Amen. You can take courage and comfort in that. Third thing, he said, listen, he said, while you're waiting, don't, don't, don't forget to occasionally look back at the prophets and draw strength from the fact they're with God. Don't be grumbling and complaining against each other, right? Because that doesn't do any good. You'll never see a lot of souls saved when a church is grumbling and complaining against each other. Right. Amen? Amen? But then he says this, the third thing, he says, let what you say be the truth. Yeah. Let it be the truth. Literally, it means when you say yes, it should mean that you're going to do what you said. Amen. When you say no, the answer is no. Amen? Amen? It means being a person of commitment, honoring your word. I struggle with this. And, and, and listen, if you're like me, you may struggle with this. I mean well, so I, I, and I want to do good things for everybody that wants something from me. I want to say yes. When, you want to do this? Yes. You want to do that? Yes. You want to help your? Yes. And, and I'm struggling with that. And I'm str I struggle to say no. But you know what happens? I tell somebody I'm going to do something. And then I get busy or I forget. Or I double book myself and I'm running around. And I end up not letting my yes be yes and my no be no. And that is sin. 
Well, what he's commanding here is that if you say you're going to do something, you should do it. And the Scripture takes it an even step up from that. And he says, whatsoever you do, do it with all your heart like you're doing it unto God. That means if you've made a commitment to something, if you made it, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't have this in my thoughts until right now, but now I do. If you've made a commitment to your church, and if you've become a member, you've made a commitment. If you've made a commitment to your church, you're called to keep it. Your yes should be yes. Amen? That's hard. If you made a commitment to a ministry, your yes should be yes. You made a commitment. You're to keep that commitment. Failure to do so. Listen, it's one thing if you say, no, I can't. Right? Here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. But when you say, yes, I will, you should do what you said you would do. Be a person of commitment, a person of integrity. And also, he says, don't swear on this thing or that thing. You shouldn't have to. People will say, well, I swear on my mother's grave. You know who says that? Two, two people. People that don't respect their mother. And the second person that says, I swear on my mother's grave, is a person who can't be trusted. Because they're trying to get you to believe that what they said is truth. Amen? Amen? What they should be able to say is, yes, I'll be there. No, I won't. Yes, I'll do this. No, I won't. And you know that what they said, they mean. Amen? Amen? Shouldn't have to swear an oath. Shouldn't have to. Fourth thing he says. I'm going to get off that one. That one didn't go over as good as I hoped. <laughs> Got to move on. Fourth thing he said. We must continue in prayer. He said if you're struggling, if anybody's struggling, what should they do? Pray. If life is good, what should you do? He said if anybody's cheerful, what should you do? Go to God in prayer and sing psalms of joy. Right? Sing psalms to God. And, 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 and with a thankful heart, worship God and sing the good songs of joy. If you're sick physically, what should you do? He said, he said, pray and call for the elders of the church and let them anoint you and pray over you. Yeah. Amen? Amen. What, what about if you sin? He said, if you sin, what should you do? Go to God in prayer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In faith believing. Listen, he said, in faith. Because the prayer of faith shall save the sick and their sins will be forgiven them if they have it. Amen? Amen. If any man sins, what did John tell us? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins right now, if as I preach today, God's revealed some things in your life, into your heart, and you think, oh my gosh, I bet God's so disappointed in me. Here's the great thing about God. Here's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. You can come to the altar. You can confess your sins to God. He says if you confess them, He's faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse you from them, and you walk away brand new again. And you start over. And you go back and you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? Amen? So don't get downcast. Don't say, gosh, I'm not, living, I'm not a good Christian. Shake it off. Come and pray. Ask God to forgive you. Get up and be a better one. Amen? Amen. Get up and go. Amen. Last thing he says. Restore each other. Restore each other. James said, if you see a brother or sister that's wandering away from the truth, 
While you're waiting on while you're waiting on the Lord to return, if you start to see somebody veer off the right path, and at least he said, help them turn back to the right path. Get them back on the right track. Come along beside and help steer me and right in the spirit of me. Just come along beside of them. Listen, go to them. Love them. Amen. Amen? Amen. Love, love on them. Talk to them. Get, get home and listen, rather than talk about them, get home and get in your prayer closet and pray for them. Amen? Amen. Get down and ask God, say, God, I, I, I know Brother Bill, you, I'll use me as an example so that it's not hurtful to anybody else. But say, I saw Brother Bill and I, and I know he's straight. I know he's taking the wrong path, God. Help him to come back out of that. Show me how I can come along beside of him and get him out of the hand and get him back on the right way. Show me what to do, God. Help him. Help me help him. God wants us to do that for one another. Encourage them and be honest with them. Be truthful with them. And you know what James said? He said, if you turn back one person astray from the Lord, you've done a marvelous thing. You've saved a soul from death and you've covered a multitude of sins. Amen? What a blessed thought today. What a wonderful thing to do in the kingdom of God. So we've got these five things, right? Here's what we need to know. The Lord's going to return. It could be in our lifetime. It could be today. A lot of things are closing in together very quickly now. Right? And, 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 and as you think about, you know, uh, the, if you study out the end times, any, if you do study on eschatology, and you kind of see how the end's coming together, you can see very quickly that things are coming together at a fast pace. Right? We were talking just the other day with just, I mean, think about it. With, in, in, in a hundred years, we went from riding horses everywhere to now we ride planes. People's been in space. People's in all that. It took no time to get there. Things are, things are moving at a rapid pace now. And men's hearts we're beginning to see are waxing cold and failing them for fear. And all these things are coming to pass. right? All the things that Christ said would happen will happen. And are happening. But we don't know if it will be today or next week or next month or next year or 10 years or 50 years. We don't know. But we do know. We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the truth. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's going to come back. Now, I want to be ready. I want you to be ready. Amen? And until He returns, what He is saying, what James is saying, He says as a church, as a body of Christ, as believers... Right? He said, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He said, I want to remind you of those five things. Don't grumble while you're waiting on the Lord. Don't grumble about one another. Just take some time and draw some encouragement from what He's done for the men of old. Amen? Be a person of integrity, a person that keeps their commitments, whose yes is yes and no is no. Continue in prayer in every situation. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Amen? Amen? Keep praying. And be ready to help one another if one another stumbles and falls. Be ready to restore one another. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's think about our own hearts. Not everybody else's. Our own. I'm asking you today, are you ready for the return of the Lord? Now, you, you may be in here and your life is not hid in Christ. You may be lost. 
If you've not surrendered to Christ for the remission of sins, if you've not put your faith in Christ and His death and burial and resurrection, that's the things you need to do. Amen. You come up and you pray and you ask God to forgive you of sin. And you get things right. But Christians, and if I'm giving you an offer call today, what I'm asking you is, are you faithfully watching? Are you keeping these things that James said? Are you guilty of grumbling about one another? 